Welcome to Psychology Concepts Explained. This is your host, Dr. Jack Chuang. And if you're new to the podcast, um, you should know that there are a lot of lecture podcasts. If you're taking Intro to Psychology or Lifespan Psychology, just scroll down to the beginning of the channel and be sure to click follow or subscribe in your podcasting app so that you can see new episodes and to find this list again. And you'll notice that after the whole collection of lecture podcasts have concluded that I continue to do weekly episodes on a variety of subjects. And lately this month, given that May is Mental Health Awareness Month, as well as Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month, I've had the opportunity to interview um, some interesting guests. So please do follow and subscribe to our uh, podcast channel. And I say our, because lately I have my wonderful wife, A. Kine, as my co-host, especially for these segments or sometimes during interviews. Hello, A. Hi. How are I you doing? I just pop in every once in a while. Thanks for having me. Sure. Yeah. You're accessible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't have to email you, you know. It's like, hey, you want to be on the podcast? Okay. But... <laughs> So, uh, but initially I had to drag a kicking and screaming, uh, figuratively, of course, to get on the podcast. But then once she <laughs> uh, was in one episode, then realized, oh, this is fun. So now it's nice to have yeah, company. I realized I have a lot to say. <laughs> you just realized I, I used to, I used to say a lot of it on, on the blog. I used to write our blog and then we haven't been it's been abandoned for so long I haven't written and then I thought well you know doing the podcast is a way for me to vent but much quicker a lot faster yeah you can just turn <laughs> I can the see mic why you like it yeah turn the mic and keep talking <laughs> yeah and, and you know it's just every once in a while my brain doesn't kick in I have this foggy brain <clears throat> uh, which we, we we had mentioned before that we need to talk about um women's health and so uh last time when we were when I was on I remember there were words that I was trying to look for like bedding and inheritance and I, I couldn't think of those words I had to describe them to you and then you were able to say oh you're looking for this word and I was like yeah that's it oh so you weren't trying <laughs> to quiz we... me you weren't quizzing me <laughs> <No>. <laughs> put me on the spot this is how you function around the house anyway yeah. <laughs> uh the brain fog. Uh it's it's a it's a big deal. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Okay. We are, maybe we'll find a specialist and we can bring them on. And that's why we have yeah. the podcast is to bring on specialists so we learn more about ourselves. It's very selfish. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> yeah. It's a way to vent our frustrations too. This is what I'm finding is that you know, all this stuff that's going on with the um with the coup and what's happening in Burma it's a good way for me to, um, mm. I guess, you know, vent and talk to you, but through a podcast and we talk about a lot of things, but you know, why not share it with, uh, with our community as well and raise some awareness about what's happening. And uh, we're going to be doing a GoFundMe pretty soon. So hopefully, mm. you know, we can reach out to our community. Yeah. Um, and to our listeners, um, we encourage you all, if you're interested in not just following the podcast, but discussing these issues related to what we talk about, join our Discord community, and you'll find a link in the description. We already have 30 people in there, and uh, I'm creating different channels within Discord that we can you know, have topical discussions, and it's a good way to keep in touch, and people ask questions of each other. It's a great place for students to support one another who are going through school at whatever level. I'm going to try to invite more uh, mental health and psychology professionals in there. Yeah, you know, today's podcast um, mm -hmm. with uh, Regina, Dr. Regina Kep. Mm -hmm. I think she would be a great addition to, to the group if we can invite her and have her in there. Yeah. Uh, she talked a, a lot about uh, her, her career and, you know, her student career as well as her professional career and uh, I think it's a good one for a lot of our listeners to learn more about that particular topic in uh, psychology of aging and 
you know, the need for the professionals in that particular area for mental health for the elderly. Yeah. So yeah. like you, she's a specialist in ger geriatric uh, population. Yeah, she's a geropsych. Geropsychologist. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. I'm, and... Yeah, I'm a, uh, what they call gerontological social worker, or gerontology social worker. Um, just, just a quick correction. Um, mm -hmm. I did have a license and I've had it, I had my license for uh, 20 plus years and only in 2021 that I gave it up. I probably mm -hmm. can, you know, go back and pay the fees and get revive it back it. again, yeah. <laughs> revive it if I wanted to. Because, uh, you know, Regina asked me uh, why I gave it up. And <clears throat> but um, so uh, I have a master's in social work. So I can't technically call myself a social worker unless I have a license. Um, you can't but, even say yeah. social worker or clinical social worker. Which one is more? Um, the clinical social work also, you, you should be a licensed clinical social worker mm -hmm. to claim yourself as it because, you know, you don't want anybody off the street to just say, oh, I'm a licensed, you know, and you, you can't, you know, um, just like a lawyer needs to have a, you know, a license with the bar, right? It's similar, right? Um, so clinical social workers have a, a different level of uh, 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 licensing, right? And then I was a licensed master social worker. I have a mass, master's degree and then I got my license. So in order for you to get your clinical, you have so many hours of uh, clinical supervision and then you sit for another exam. I had a ton of hours. I just never sat for the exam. And then I left the field in 2010 uh, so to speak, and then we went to to Thailand, and uh, most of my work has have more been uh, macro level social work. So I just wanted what to that, clarify that. What does that, that mean? What does macro, that mean? Micro, yeah, micro is more with interacting and working with patients one on one, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then you have a macro level, which is more of a, a bigger policy, uh, managerial, you know, uh, almost. Um, I would say like I was a supervisor at uh, Catholic Charities. I was more on a management level overseeing uh, different three different programs, um, working with funding and uh, staffing and you know supervision and those kind of things. So those are all mm -hmm. more of a macro level. So um, when all the, a lot of the Katrina hurricane evacuees came to Houston and you- I did both. Right. Yeah, and you co-wrote a document. Well, what, what's the oh, official? That was so long ago. <laughs> I know, but what would what do we call that? A document, a paper. I mean, what is that? A, a guideline, yeah. procedures, book? Yeah, I I have to go back and look for it. It's somewhere here. That was back in what year was it? Two thousand two or three? Oh um, no no no! Maybe no? 05, 06. Katrina. Oh five. Yeah, yeah. So maybe we, we went out um, to. The dome, uh, actually, the very first day that a lot of the uh, evacuees came to Houston, and we were one of the first ones in. And what what I learned from that was that um, there were a lot of elderly from from Louisiana, from New Orleans, and um, many of them came without any kind of um, medical documentations. You know, so if you have uh, dementia, if you know a patient has um, you know, any um, kind of memory issues, you know, and if they were separated from family members, it was a, a, a huge problem in trying to assess, you know, where they came from, what medication they were on and yeah. what, you know, illnesses they had, you know, was there any mental health history? None of that was available to us. So we had to start from, from zero, from scratch. Yeah. And so um, a crew starting with, uh, um, there was a geriatric physician um, who headed the, uh, I think her, Dyer, yeah, Carmel Dyer. Um, she headed the whole team of um, this work that when we went into the, um, to, to Astrodome, it was the Astrodome, right? Yeah, the Houston Astrodome. Astrodome yeah. yeah, yeah. And so a bunch of us social workers um, in, in uh, gerontology training, licensed social workers went in and help figure out what to do 
um, from, from scratch. And uh, from that experience, uh, there was a, a document that was written uh, on how to address the, uh, this kind of issue in the future. Yeah, when there's um, a disaster kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Kind of disaster yeah. response. Right, yeah. disaster re- response. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, I put you on the spot there. I didn't think we were going to talk about that particular thing. I know, I know. <laughs> you have to remember. And it, 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 it was so long ago. Um, and I still keep in touch with many of the social workers that, are, that were in that particular um, situation. And there were so many people coming in and out. And um, we all worked together with so many different agencies and um, managing that, the response of that disaster. Um, but now many are retired. I'm nowhere near you know, any of that work. And several people I know have already retired. But we reminisce and we talk about it every once in a while um, and how important that work is. And, and I, I'm not sure because I'm out of the, the system now, I haven't been working in Houston <clears throat> as a social worker in a while. But one of the things that we noticed back then was the, there, there's no centralized um, medical records of any kind. Yeah. Right? Like the experience that we had in Taiwan is that if we had something like that, we wouldn't have had that kind of problem yeah. during that disaster Because all you need is, is one form of ID. Yeah. So people in Taiwan, they have universal health care. So they have a right. health care insurance um, card. It's a mm-hmm. photo ID along with their other kind of ID, whether it's a license mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. or, oh, no, they have a national ID as well. Yeah. For us, was we had a, I had an ID as well. Yeah. Yeah. Too. Yeah. It was, it was part of the visa, right? So you're right. legal. And, and that's great because no matter where you are in the country, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. any doctor, any local hospital can look up all your records. That's right. I think and the so only, that, uh-huh, go ahead. That was one of the things that, you know, at, from that uh, we learn is how important it is. And I think the VA does it really well in having that kind of system. Yeah. But if someone leaves, uh, you know, this is one of my frustrations, you know, when we were living in Arlington, right? Is that whenever I go from, even within the same tiny little town, mm-hmm. with all the technology that we have, we cannot manage to have a centralized medical uh, record yeah. Of any of us. Yeah. You know, you end up seeing maybe four or five specialists, including primary care, right? Especially mm-hmm. when you're older. And each clinic has their own online portal where you can check the charts or send text messages. That's hard even for us to manage. And we're fairly tech fluent. So imagine like our yeah, parents' generations trying to navigate that. In their 70s that. and 80s. When yeah, they're used to, to just, yeah, they're just used to making phone calls and all that, but just mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. get a referral, just and they to, still do. Yeah, just to look up your yeah. charts, um, your latest blood work. And, it's and, really a mess. Yeah, this was a big mess with COVID, right? Yeah. A lot of, uh, a lot of uh, like my parents, for example, um, they probably don't know how to respond to you know, registering, you know, from clicking a link to, you know, just on your phone with tiny little prints, you know, and um, it, they, they had a hard time, you know, registering. And I cannot imagine all the different elderly, uh, you know, utilizing text only in registering to yeah. get that COVID vaccine. Or using apps. And, yeah. Yeah. And in the end, you know, we're at the point where everyone can get the, the, the vaccine anyway. And we're having to like bribe people to go get it, you know, when in actuality, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, that's something that um, all of us should be running and, you know, and getting it because yeah. you know, people in India are dying. People in Burma, yeah, you know, only certain people have access, right? So we are living in a country with so much resources and access and, and, um, and we don't realize how, how, yeah, I uh, feel like in the great. States, we kind of stumbled <laughs> yeah. our way out of the pandemic because of the vaccination technology, right? Mm-hmm. And, but sadly, it's coupled with a lot of people who feel like they don't want to get the vaccine. So yeah, that, I mean, you know, but that, 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 that is what it is, you know, and there's yeah, probably cultural, is. there are probably <clears throat> cultural elements of it and all that. Yeah. But, um, but anyway, I mean, what, what are your <clears throat> thoughts about the interview we just had 
I'm sorry. This morning with we just Dr. go random. No, it's okay. <laughs> That's what this play. segment's for. <laughs> it's just to talk about what's ever on our mind. Yeah. But uh, oh, <laughs> any last thoughts about you know the Myanmar Burma coup and things like that? I mean, you talked about how we're gonna put together a GoFundMe. Yeah, um, every single day, I'm getting information from inside the country with the contacts that I have, and I'm in contact with you know some of the people that I know here in the in the states that I'm trying to work with and collaborate with, and um, every day it has it has gotten more and more difficult to. Um, communicate as well as um, getting the resources or the supplies or the money that, you know, that is needed. Um, I can tell you, you know, in one particular uh, part of Myanmar, Kachin state, there are over 7,000 people um, on the run away, you know, trying to find a place to just hide and, um, and in need of uh, help, resources and help as in like supplies and money to live and be, you know, that kind of thing. But um, it's a challenge every day because I, I have to stay up. You know, we talked about this last time to stay up until a certain time for them to wake up, to be able to talk to them uh, and communicate with them because of the time difference. So uh, it is still complicated, but I, I still feel that um, we can find ways to get proper assistance. It's just going to take time to do it. Yeah. Um, and the more I p- talk to people, the more I feel confident that it will happen, but it just takes time. And, yeah. but the need is great, continues to be great. And the, re- the, the, the supplies are running short because the borders are closed right now. Uh, so I, I want to keep working on uh, raising money. And I, what I'm doing is collecting stories so that we can uh, continue to um figure out how I'm going to do that. I, I want to start a GoFundMe um, and hopefully we can share that with the, the listeners as well as uh, in our Discord group. And, you know, hopefully we can. Um, yeah. I think once the GoFundMe, once the GoFundMe is created, then any donor, that is a community right there. You can just yeah provide right. updates, you know, and information right. and, yeah. And so someone can just donate a dollar and just keep up with you on what's happening and, and right. how we're able to help um, logistically. There's just so few things that we it's can It's the logistics. Take. Yeah, it's the logistics. Yeah, how to yeah, get something uh, from point mm-hmm. A to point B. Right, right. Uh, so, you know, rest assured that, um, you know, uh, we're still working on it and trying to get, do as much as we can to try to get the support over there. It's just very limited and very uh, challenging. Yeah. Yeah. But the need is great. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's great that we're um, trying to take action because otherwise we're just help feeling helpless and and that's no good to anyone in terms of. Yeah, and you know we we we've, we've taken action since day one. You know we have yeah. our connections, uh, contacts, or you know the friends and people that we know inside that we have already uh, helped uh, support, but it's 114th day of the coup and there's gonna be shortages of all different things, you know? So we continue to do what we can with the connections that we have. Yeah. Yep, yep. It's it's easy to feel hopeless, but we gotta persist and And we need to realize that just by communicating with them can provide a lift, even Mm -hmm. if it's temporary, you know, that that it's meaningful. Yeah. You know, so we just have to keep at it. Um, Well, transitioning back to today's, you know, main (laughs) topic of geriatrics. And uh, I hope the listeners will get a lot out of this because I think the conversation centered around things I didn't really expect you know I, mm-hmm. I you know I invited her Dr. Kep as an expert and in, in working with the elderly population I thought we would cover a lot of different mental health issues which we actually did actually and we, we can don't invite her back yeah we need to invite yeah, her back she, and she wants to come, back. to come back yeah because uh with her podcast called the psychology of aging she deal she talks about a lot of these uh basically mental health issues with the elderly population and but what was great was that 
in asking her about her bio and where she got started, mm-hmm. I think that that part in itself was so valuable to, right? to know how she came from humble beginnings, first generation college student came from. Oh, Wait, let's not give was, it away. Not yeah, yeah, yeah. Away. She'll 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 talk about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, thanks for stopping me. <laughs> and uh, but it was just so inspiring, right? That. It was like, wow, you know, I had no expectation for any of these subjects to come up. And I think just incidentally, that portion of the discussion or conversation, I don't want to use the word interview, but, you know, that I think that that might be one of the most valuable parts of it, in addition to the work that she's doing and Mm -hmm. promoting and, you know. And and hopefully we can have her come back and talk a lot more about uh, psychology of aging because there are so many different things you know if we just if after listening to it right after the listeners listen to it and you know we can go a little bit more in detail about certain areas that she can come back and talk about um, but the the community college you know the way you know that you talked about a little bit I mean she mm-hmm. she talked about um, I think that was a you're right that was very very um, that invaluable right and uh, hopefully give a lot of our listeners uh, encouragement and inspiration you know to know that you know there's a lot of possibilities out there you know uh, hard work and okay I'll just stop right there <laughs> yeah yeah and, and, and I, yeah, I thought it was very inspirational yeah that's all that's all the listener needs to know as a yeah. preview is that it was it was really an awesome conversation <laughs> yeah. and I wish we had a little bit more time her schedule is pretty tight so I'm glad we got the time that we yeah. had with her you know and we'll bring it back to have more conversations and it, that doesn't have to be limited to just her professional work I mean there's so many issues we can I think, I think also talk about yeah the one thing that I think um you know we 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 can look. We can um, look at her. Look at anyone, right? Credentials mm-hmm. and so on and so forth, and all the things that they've done, and and never think about you know where they came from and how they made it, you know, because yeah. it made me think about my own story, my own uh, story, and you know, if you look at me now, you know, I, you know, I'm not working, and you know, you're the only one working, and you know. Mm-hmm. We, live a comfortable life and you know but it wasn't always like that for me right um you hear that thunder you know yeah so <laughs> sorry <laughs> coming from you know yeah. humble beginnings I think it's it's important to remember uh, that people work hard yeah. you know you you look at them and think oh wow they're doing so well and da, 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 you know yeah. but it didn't always start out that way you know? and it wasn't easy and and it's not work and it's it's also not just about doing it all yourself you know every person who who achieves anything has a community around them has supporters you know whether it's family support or act or institutional support or governmental support you know Mm -hmm. in terms of scholarships Mm -hmm. or loans you know Mm -hmm. or anyway and that's nothing to be ashamed of yeah you know and and those are these humble beginnings um like myself, you know, I, I, like our family coming to the U.S., you know, in the 80s and uh, having, coming here with $32. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's what we had. Yep. And that, that was all we had, $32. That's all, that was all that my dad had. Yeah. So, you know, coming from that and, you know, he worked, um, you know, night jobs and, you know, different things that he did uh, to, put food on our, on on the table, you know, things that he didn't have to do before when he was living in, in Burma. Um, so, you know, that's another inter- uh, conversation that we can have about. <laughs> yeah. About immigrants, you know? Yeah. Immigrants. Yeah. And, and <clears throat> interviewing we, and. People may have uh, a fairly high status or, or job or standard mm-hmm. of living in their home mm-hmm. country and leave for whatever reason due to right. hardship or you know relocate right. to the US and they have to start mm-hmm. over. Right. You know, doctors come here and they end up working, yep. you know, menial jobs until they can get back on their feet. And right. you know, your dad was uh an officer, but he taught economics. Yeah, right? he did. And then he came yeah. here and worked retail and your mom worked retail, you know, and yep. and 
you know, hats off to them and to right. all the immigrants who have to humble themselves and say, well, yeah, yeah I, I was doing this in my home country, but I'm coming here and I got to work with my hands more or, mm -hmm. or, you know, take a big pay cut or, or mm -hmm. like your dad or was old, older. Yeah. And right. older, he's working with kids, basically, you know, young people mm -hmm. in, in his job line of work. Right. right? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's not an easy thing to do. A lot of yeah, sacrifice. So hopefully that's another, uh, you know, conversation we can have about immigrants. But as, as for today's topic, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, psychology of aging, um, we know in our own families, you know, we, we live with, we see that all the time, you know, so I think yeah. Rajit, uh, Dr. Kep, um, uh, conversation with her was also, you know, quite valuable in learning about, you know, how we can challenge ourselves to think about ways to, you know, become professionals, mental health professionals with working with the elderly. Yeah. Or just be an advocate, you know, it, that's right. You know, be an advocate. And, and anyway, so if anyone out there is subscribing or following our podcast because they like these psychology topics, then you all should be following or subscribing to Dr. Kep's podcast, Psychology of Aging as well, because I think mm -hmm. it ties together very well. Her presentation style and just the quality of her podcast, just very easy mm -hmm. to listen to and understand. And the topics are just so important. So um, definitely putting in a plug for our fellow psychologists yeah. out there who and, are and, doing important work. And are you going into that chapter? Uh, yeah, one, just just time-wise. Yeah, yeah. I'm mm -hmm. teaching lifespan psychology, right? So we go through the lifespan from genetics, birth, through adolescence. And, and our last module is starting next week, and it's about the elderly, elderly, right? Mm -hmm. um, the seniors, citizen population, and those issues. So I think this podcast will definitely be embedded into my course <laughs> for that's for that particular section. Okay. Any last thoughts before we uh, go ahead and play the interview portion? Mm -hmm. no, no, I think we've said enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But a lot of important stuff to talk about. Yes. So. Yes. All yeah. right. We'll keep talking. Yep. So until next time. Until next time. Okay, everyone. Enjoy the conversation and interview with Dr. Regina Kep. Hello, friends. Let me take a moment to thank BetterHelp for sponsoring our podcast. Let me talk to you a little bit about searching for happiness or trying to achieve goals. And oftentimes, life and circumstances and other reasons get in the way. So BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating with your therapist within 48 hours. And it's not a crisis hotline, okay? And it's not self-help. It's actual professional counseling, but it's done securely online. You have access to BetterHelp's network of over 20,000 counselors with a wide variety of expertise and training. And this is also about accessibility. If you don't have a counselor in your area to see in person, then this could be a great solution for you. So this service is available for clients worldwide, and you can log into your account at any time and send a message to your counselor. So again, accessibility. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as in traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so, and they make it easy and free if you want to change counselors if necessary. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. So visit BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com slash PsychExplained and join the over 1 million people who are taking charge of their mental health with the help of experienced mental health professionals. 
And there's a special offer for my Psychology Concepts Explained listeners. You can get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash psychexplained. You can see the link in the show notes. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of Psychology Concepts Explained. Okay, welcome to Psychology Concepts Explained. Again, this is your host, Dr. Jack Truong. I'm with my co-host, A. Kine. And uh, mm. today, today, we're happy to have a very special guest, Dr. Regina Kep. And I hope I pronounced that correctly. Um, yeah. Let me give you the brief bio here. She And I found her on YouTube, um, not on YouTube, but on uh, a podcast. I found her podcast and just reached out to her on Twitter. And then she just said, oh, yeah, sure. I'd love to come on and talk about... Uh, what I do. Okay, she's a clinical geropsychologist, founder and director of the Center for Mental Health and Aging, which is the go-to place online for mental health and aging. Dr. Kep is the creator and host of Psychology of Aging podcast, which I highly recommend, where she discusses the aging process and its complexities. Dr. Kep has been featured in the Chicago Tribune, Baltimore Sun, and is a contributing writer at Psychology Today where she discusses mental health and aging. She is a former assistant professor at Emory University School of Medicine's Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences, that's a mouthful, Mm -hmm. and former staff psychologist at the Atlanta VA Healthcare System, where she provided direct patient care and consultation on the Gero Psych outpatient mental health team for more than a decade. Dr. Kept earned her doctorate at the you're just testing me here with this PGSP Stanford PsyD Consortium and completed her postdoc fellowship. <laughs> you know, when I ask people for bios, they're really good. They're trying to test me, my reading skills at Emory University's Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences, Richard W. Morrill Community Commitment Award there. Oh, yeah. I, I won an award there called the Richard awesome. Morrill. Maybe I miss, miss, uh, I don't know. Maybe I didn't write it correctly in my bio, but so that was a test. It was a trick. <laughs> Thank We're so you. happy to have you here and uh, tell us who you are and how you got to where you are in terms of what you do professionally. A lot of my, my listeners are students who are, many are interested in the career field of psychology. And I think yours is a very interesting one to talk about. And an important one. Oh, thank. Well, first, thank you for having me. I um, talking about a career in Jero Psych is near and dear to my heart. So, I thanks so much for having me here, um, and for the work that you do in your podcast, kind of educating the world on psychology and lifespan development. I know you kind of go across the gamut with psychology, but lifespan development is kind of my jam. So, I'm going to say thank you for for doing that. Um, I have a pretty non-traditional background, um, and this might, many of the undergrads who listen to this might also have a non-traditional background in terms of academically. I was raised by a single mom, five kids. We didn't know our dads and nobody had been to college before. I was the only one in my family who went to a four-year school, but I started in community college and uh, my mom was having her own mental health um, concerns at that time. And one of my brothers was in foster care and he, um, you know, I stayed close to him to help him and connect with him on the weekends when I could. And then I went to community college so I could be near him and then transferred to a four-year school. And community college was great for me, actually. I had excellent teachers. It was close to my family, my brothers. And, um, and it was affordable. I think I got financial aid. So that helped me. And I came from a very low-income family, single mom with mental health concerns. You know, it's hard to maintain employment. You have a bunch of kids. You know, we were kind of on welfare. Well, not kind of. We were on welfare and um, just relied on all of the sort of community supports. And, and one of those community supports was community college. And that was a great jumping off point for me in my career. That, that, I'm so glad you shared that because I teach at community colleges and that's pretty much encompassed most of my teaching career. 
I did a brief stint at, at a University of Houston for classes there, but mostly mm -hmm. full-time and part-time at community colleges. And, and I'm glad my students can hear your story because so many are basically living through the same thing and wondering, oh, you know, can I make it? Yeah. And there's so many that are first gen right. college students as well. So it's well, wonderful to hear that, you know, it is possible. Just take it one year at a time, one step at a time, and, and you can do it. Yeah, that is absolutely right. And you're, and you know, it's first generation college students, but also maybe first generation American, first generation, um, maybe you speak English as a second language. I mean, all sorts of um, pieces that might make community college, also caregiving, um, a lot of caregivers benefit from community college because they can't operate in the traditional nine to four kind of academic environment because they might have to care for somebody with dementia and then have kids. And so maybe at night or something when they can get somebody to watch the kids and sit with their loved one with dementia, then they can go to school. So community college is a great option for so many people. And I was one of those people. And, um, and, and I did struggle, you know, with what does this mean for me? I felt a little bit ashamed, like I didn't want to share it too much. And now I actually find it as um, a real glowing sort of point of pride in my own development. I think how many other people get this story like this? Um, I think it's made me more resilient. It's made me more um, uh, appreciative of people with all diversity variables from income to you know, inter international and um, first generation uh, immigrants or migrants. I grew up in Los Angeles, so there's a long history of <laughs> migrant uh, history. So I'm kind of sensitive to say it in inclusively. But um, so that was, it's incredibly important for my own professional development. And then I went to UC Santa Barbara for undergrad and then um, to that PGSP Stanford Society Consortium for grad school. And I thought, well, if I could make it in any academic system, where would that be? And that was at Stanford. But I don't know that I would um, say that's great for everyone because I had a, a big um, student loan payment in the end. If I had to do it all over, I might've gone for a lesser named school for that was more affordable for me because then I was left with a big student loan payment. And, and that's been you know, frustrating as an, you know, as a, I'm 45 now, so I still have a big student loan payment. And, um, and I'd rather be putting that toward my kids' tuition and other things. Right. We can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still paying mine too. A just paid hers off a few years ago. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and it's not astronomical and, but it's the same amount as someone's maybe a car lease payment, you know, or, you know, but in the end, um, as long as I think, and I think I'll do an episode about just student loans in general. That would be so helpful. That um, if it's the only way to finish, then maybe it's a good debt, right? Um, but, uh, but if someone can prepare ahead of time, right, and minimize borrowing as much as possible, and I think community colleges help with that. First two years yes. of college and you, and you spend, 100%. yeah, you can get through debt-free uh, for the most part for mm -hmm. most people. And the government's thinking about doing, you know, free community colleges. And, and I think that would be a game changer. Totally. For, yeah. I yeah. think we'll have a lot of college graduates, a lot more. Oh, yeah. And it would Definitely. just expand access to so many other resources. Um, speaking of, you know, first generation college students in financial aid, one of the challenges, I think, is that many first-generation college students don't know the full range of opportunity of grad schools and undergrads. You know, we kind of know big names, but we don't know all of these other schools that are equally good. Yes. And, um, and I think that's part of where we could also do academically a better job. And, and I'm out of that. I'm out of the college to graduate school kind of, um, bridging. Maybe they are doing a good job of that, but, um, but really, if, if there are students who are first generation thinking about taking on some big loans to really get a feel of the landscape of what other programs are available in the field that you're interested in that might have like compensated work um, 
tuition, you know, if you're going to, if you could teach classes in exchange for some tuition, if you could do, work in a lab that has some grant funding that would hire you, you know, so, so that you're not left with big, um, a big pile of debt at the end. And that, and that's hard to know as a first generation student, because you don't know the full landscape or you don't know who you could talk to about that landscape. So I would just get talking and, and asking who could I talk to about learning more about what kind of options are available in grad school if I want to go that way. Yeah. One of the things I did when I was uh, approaching grad school was um, because I was interested in medical social work. So I interviewed social workers I went along with them. Uh, I shadowed them. You know, I just made a phone call and says, can I come along and, you know, check out what you're doing? Wonderful. And I think that's one of the ways that, uh, you know, students could learn more about what that profession is all about. It's yeah. by talking to the people who are already in the field, by interviewing them and, you know, shadowing them. That's one of the things. And another thing I wanted to say about community college is that, um, there are certificate programs, there are associate degrees, you know, that'll get you in the door for anyone who's, you know, can't, you know, looking at how much it costs and community college are so much cheaper um, than the, yeah, the universities. Yeah, it's not really necessary for a lot of people to spend so many years in college just to make a decent living, right? There's so many technical kind of uh, jobs. And that's the one thing that opened my mind when I started teaching yeah. at a community college, because I didn't personally go through it like you did. So I didn't know. I, I went through the high school, then the big university system, right? Yeah, and then, cool. yeah, then when, once I started teaching, I was like, oh, really? You can you can do two years and, and become a Honda certified mechanic and make a lot of money, you know, that kind of thing. Wow, or, what a niche. One. Or yeah, yeah. Or nursing, you know? And uh, so, yeah, I think... Um, I, I didn't I didn't expect us to talk about community colleges so much at the beginning of this episode, but I think it's fantastic because it's yeah. it's right up what I do every day yeah. for my students. A lot of uh, vocational, um, you know, different routes that people can go um, that I think in, in the U.S. may not be as focused. You know what I mean? We, we focus so much on the four-year degrees, you know, and the master's degree and going to the Ivy League schools, but in reality, you know, there's a lot of people out there um, that could easily make a living without having a four-year degree. And these days, it costs a lot of money to get a four-year degree. Yeah. You know, so yeah, yeah we go into debt and, you know, it, it was different back in the day. We're in our 50s. So, you know, it was a lot cheaper. And I, I keep telling my daughter, I'm so glad she's getting her associate degree out of the way at a two-year college. And she started off early because we homeschooled her. And so she was, you know, in, um, at a community college by 16. So wow. yeah, that, I know, <laughs> actually she was taking online classes by 15. So, you know, I was really glad to get that out of the way. And of course she didn't understand at the time, but <laughs> I'm glad she gets, gets it now. She's 18 now. Right. Right. Yeah. I, um, I'm glad we're talking about community college too. We have to they're such an important bridge, especially, you know, I didn't have the best, um, I didn't have a lot of stability in my family life. And so that would sometimes reflect in my grades, even though my intellect was there. Right. And also community college kind of helped me to get very clear mm -hmm. on, okay, I'm going to put, I'm going to make a commitment to this. I'm going to, um, and, and it got, helped me to get my grades in a place that were marketable for a four-year college. My yeah. grades were fine. You know, it was like upper mm -hmm. B, probably B plus, but mm -hmm. it's not like the four point something, 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 something that you need to get into a four-year school. Right. So it really helped me to, um, kind of get what I needed to get, like get all my ducks in a row when I was applying to, to undergrad or four-year undergrad. What yeah. an inspirational story that is. Oh, thanks. You know? yeah, yeah. Encouraging others, you know, young people out there that are wondering, you know, am I going to make it, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah. And I made it all the way Good to Stanford and Emory with my doctorate. So you could do it too. I came over yeah. from poverty. I mean, we were homeless actually until I was eight. Then we were wow. in an apartment and welfare, lots of kids, one mom, most of the time, unless she was in the hospital for, you know, what she was dealing with. She's doing great now. She's a very stable place in her mental health journey. And, um, one of the reasons I 
went into mental health and psychology, of course. And, um, and then, you know, the beautiful thing about my mom is she, she brought all these other people into our lives to help care for us. So, which I think takes as a mother, a tremendous amount of grace and humility to do that. But she connected us to like work programs. I had a big sister in the big brother, big sister program named Paulette, who's still in my life. Her husband walked me down the aisle when I got married to my husband. Yeah. So Yeah. And so all these people sort of were my cheering squad for this non-traditional life that I had and, um, and that, and a cheering squad all the way to my doctorate. So you can do it too. I I'm nothing special. I'm a hard worker and I'm resilient, but I'm not smarter than anybody else. My IQ is like probably 10 points above average. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not a genius, right? I'm just, well, my nickname is Regenius, but you know, you just work, work hard, have a vision and, um, uh, you know, take care of yourself, eat right, sleep, sleep well, exercise and stay the course one day at a time. Like you were saying, Jack. Yeah. See, I think you, you need to rename your podcast as the Dr. Regenius Oh my podcast. gosh. That yeah. is my Peloton you to, user. You better, name, you better so. trademark that soon. <laughs> yeah. There's another Dr. Dr. Regina Regenius. out there is going to say, oh, that's a great idea. I'm going to use that. Right, right. Oh, I should trademark it. Okay. So, so then to Jero. Okay. So, so, you know, I had a lot of exposure to mental illness growing up. I was very curious. I myself struggled with depression as an adolescent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was you know, my, my brothers struggle with their own mental health concerns and substance use concerns. And it was one way for me to under, to go through psychology. My undergrad was actually in literature because I loved reading and literature is kind of like a sister to psychology. I would say it's, you know, very psychological and it's, in its prose and at storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I, I did my undergrad in, in literature and English literature, and then my graduate degree in psychology. But it was really to help me, I think, heal. I also did my own therapy, of course, um, and still enjoy my own therapy. But it was really to help me heal and kind of work through understanding and kind of learning what makes it so people are struggle with mental illness or what makes it so people struggle with substance use disorders and what makes it so that it's affecting my family and why my family and um, why me? And what can I do to make it a little bit better? And so that's why I chose psychology, really to learn about myself and my family and how we actually can heal from this pretty tough hand we were dealt. And my mom was dealt an even hard, you know, super tough hand in her childhood. So like, how do we move forward from here? And how do we change course? Because that's not the course I want for me. And that's not the course I don't want an unsupported mental health journey. I want a supported mental health journey and I want to support other people. And so that's why I chose psychology. And then for Jero psychology, it actually, so Jero for people is short for gerontology. And that is the study of older adults in society and, in, and you know, psychologically and behavior and thinking the way we have relationships, the way we relate to each other. So Jero is short for gerontology, the, stole, the study of older adults in society. And, um, and I did training on a hospice unit. So I was with older adults typically at the end of their life and would just sit bedside with them. And I had family groups. So I would offer uh, family support groups to the people who were dying, their family members. And then if the people who were dying could attend a group, we had groups for people who were dying and then would sit bedside with people who were dying. And it was just this incredibly beautiful, the most, um, one of the most intimate experiences you can have with somebody, even if nothing is said, you're sort of bearing witness, you're, you're sort of sitting vigil, right? There's, something incredibly intimate about that. In my life, I felt always like I needed to hide. I had to hide. Uh, I don't have to do this now, but I was very ashamed of being poor. I was very ashamed of my uh, mental health, my mental health in my family. Um, and I would hide that part of me. And I would sit with these people at the end of their life. And we would talk about their lives 
they would share things that they had been hiding. They would share things that they, you know, would, would never hide that they were proud of. And they would talk about their journeys of redemption really, which was, you know, I had a struggle where I was ashamed. This is, I'm talking about like an older adult. I had a struggle where I was ashamed. Maybe I, maybe I abandoned my children and I feel ashamed of that. And now here I am dying alone. I worked with an older adult who had that experience and now I'm here alone and I'm so lonely. And maybe this is, and, and I want to rectify that. And so we worked with him to outreach to his um, daughters who he abandoned. And, um, and I want to rectify that. And, and that to me is one of the, the best gifts of humanity is this, we have a struggle and we have a journey and we have an opportunity for redemption and healing. And that doesn't have to be redemption with God. It, it's just a kind of spiritual opportunity to, to have a healing process, a transformative process. And when I saw older adults really modeling for me, like how that's done, because I didn't have a lot of opportunity for that, like that you have that level of struggle and that level of healing. And um, to see people at the end of their life, at some of the most vulnerable places of dying, and then to hear the incredible resilience, just that dichotomy, that tension, I was sold. I was, I can't do anything else, but be with older adults from here on out. Like I, I need this for my own healing. And, and I think it's just a really mutually beautiful and beneficial opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's why I chose older adults and their families. Yeah. That brings me back to when I did my um, internship at the v- in the VA hospital and we do a bunch of rotations throughout that one year. And one was geropsych rotation. And it was very common for other interns and, and uh, master's level, uh, I guess, trainees. They either have one of two reactions. One is that they're drawn to it like you were, or the other is that they're just totally afraid of it. Run the other way. Yeah. I, I, I think yeah. part of that has to do with just the, the, the stigma of aging and maybe um, seeing one's mortality right yeah. there so real and they don't want to deal with that where they have other personal family issues that it just brings out that they can't work in that kind of location. So uh, I, I think geropsych is so needed. And, um, but it, it also requires the right person. You can't just go into it because you look at the marketplace and say, oh, you know, there's a market. Cause I hear a lot of people going to nursing for that reason, right? Oh, there's a market, there's a need. And yeah, I think that's a practical side of why you choose a profession, but then you know, you can talk more about this. You, you really have to have that desire to want to work with that population. Yeah. And, and the passion. So when you talk a little bit earlier about, you know, being at hospice and um, working with, um, you know, those dying, because I used to work at MD Anderson and um, God, that, that was so long ago, but uh, on um, bone marrow transplant, which was you know, often we end up seeing a lot of patients that don't make it. So yeah, I can, I can totally relate. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I, um, I have to be with generally adults or older adults who are at end of life. I couldn't do children. If there were bone marrow transplants with children, did you, did you work? Yeah. You know, when I did, um, what we call PRN, you know, as needed, you know, type of uh, contract work, uh, I was at Texas Children's and um, they asked me if I wanted to work on the, with the pediatrics and I couldn't do it because our daughter was really young at the time and I could never work with uh, children that young on, you know, on oncology. Yeah. That was just the hardest thing. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's true. You have to have that um, resilience and the passion to want to be there sitting and hearing at the last hours, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, their last breaths sometimes. Yes. Yeah. And, and it's a powerful thing uh, to be able to do that with another yeah. human being. Yeah. And a privilege. An incredible privilege. Yeah. 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 So I know you have a busy schedule and I think we have about five plus minutes left and I want you to be able to talk about your professional plans and the website you're developing and, and how it can help so many people. So you want to talk about that? Yes. Yes. Okay. So let me also just say, um, in terms of having a passion, 
I agree. It helps to have a passion. I'm not always passionate about what I do, but it does help to have a passion. Um, you know, I'm human too. I have my, my uh, days, but, um, what, what I, what I will say is that, um, sometimes you, you might not know if you have a passion in working with older adults, because we're not often exposed to older adults in these systems and settings. And so I would just challenge people who are like older adults. Why would I want to work with older adults to, to maybe, you know, maybe listen to a couple of things I'm going to say next about why it's so important. And, um, so maybe I'll ask your listeners and you too, if you're interested to reflect on imagining yourself when you're 65, like, where are you? Who are you with? What are you doing? How are you spending your time? Who are you spending your time with? Are you working? Where are you living? Now imagine yourself when you're 75 and ask yourself the same questions. Where are you? Where do you live? Who do you live with? How are you spending your time? Are you healthy? Are you happy? Are you in a relationship? Now 85. Where are you? What are you doing? How are you spending your time? Are you healthy? Who's in your life? And then sometimes when I ask my students, what I do is I try to recruit people. <laughs> sometimes when they're, when they're deciding, um, like you were saying, their rotations, when they're deciding if they want to do a Jero psych rotation. And I would, I had a Jero psych rotation for 10 years and I would have, I would go in and do an orientation with all the new trainees. And I would say, okay, you get to choose. You get to choose all these really sexy topics like PTSD with veterans like that. And there's very few less sexy. I mean, that is like one of the most sexy topics to students going into a VA. I definitely want to, you know, so then I show up with you come work with older adults and the students are like, oh, they just deflate like a balloon. Right. And then I go through this exercise. And then sometimes people are leaving that like crying because they're imagining their grandparents or their parents or what will happen. And, and one thing that comes up though, when I do that exercise is grief. So people have a very strong grief reaction. And then they, some people might see it as a, yes, I'm healthy. This is what I'm doing. Other people might see it as um, people are dying or there's loss. And, and what happens then is our own projection of what our future and the future will look like an aging starts to shape how we feel about older adults. And so um, we start to dread aging because we don't want to have all that grief or we don't want to lose capacity or ability. And then we start to despise it or disdain it or protest it. Like I'm never going to end up there. If I'm like that and you hear people say that if I'm like that, just take me out. And then you get like that and you're like, well, this isn't so bad. Like I worked with somebody who was like, if I, if I have to use a cane, just, you know, I don't want to go anywhere. And then the person has to use a cane and they're like, oh, now I have this really cool cane that my kid made for me. And that's awesome. And look, look at how cool it is. And they're like, okay, but if I ever have to use a rolling walker, you know, just put me out of my misery. Then they start using a rolling walker and they're like, look, it's a Cadillac. Isn't that funny? And, you know, and people adjust that they start using a wheelchair and then all their, their impressions about what life is going to be like we adjust to. And that is because older adults have higher rates of resilience than any other age group. They have a lifetime of overcoming hardship. And that's the gift that I got in hospice that even though older adults are dying, like the hardest thing in life, right. Is death. Potentially people were resilient. They were saying, let me still heal these wounds that I have from these times in my life. And so, um, I would say, even though you might have these visions of how life will be, people, older adults are incredibly resilient and adjust. And it's, um, it might not be as grim as you think of it. And there could be a lot of gifts on the flip side. So that's one thing I would say to people about, um, and then maybe consider that an opportunity or where opportunities um, come up, maybe, maybe think about, okay, maybe I will try working with older adults just to see if it's my jam or not. 
and then see where that takes you. So older adults are resilient. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we have all these misconceptions about older adults, like at a certain age, it's normal to have dementia or at a certain age, it's normal to be depressed or anxious. I mean, all your friends are dying. So of course you're going to be depressed or anxious. And so these are huge misconceptions that are actually pretty harmful for people and older adults. And, um, you know, dementia is not a normal part of aging. Depression is not a normal part of aging. Anxiety substance use, not normal parts of aging. And here's the other secret that nobody really talks about is that anxiety and depression are highly treatable in older adults. Like depression is as treatable as in any other age group in older adults, but older adults are not getting the mental health care that they need because we have so many misconceptions and high rates of stigma around mental health and aging and mental health in general. I just keep shaking my head, but yes, Hey, we're like um, a team. We're a dynamic duo. <laughs> You're my amen choir. I am. Cause I am on my soapbox. <laughs> yeah. So, so 20 to 22% of older adults have a mental health condition like depression, anxiety, dementia, substance use, but between 67 and 90% of older adults don't get the mental health care that they need. Mm-hmm. And, and the reasons for this are stigma which is huge. And even the, you know, and we internalize that stigma. Like I did about growing up poor, like I did about, um, having mental health concerns in my family. Like I had, you know, I had lots of stigma around going to community college. How silly, like it's, it's an incredible building block in my life. And I was ashamed of it because of stigma, like, Oh, you didn't have the four year (laughs) career degree right out of um, high school. Like Mm -hmm. how ridiculous. So um, the same is true for older adults. It's ridiculous. We have this stigma, like I should be stronger than that, or I'm not crazy. And, um, and so, and so my mission now is to help bridge with education. So, and to try to dispel some of these myths, why I started the podcast, the psychology of aging podcast is to provide education broadly to dispel myths around um, mental health and aging, what's normal, what's not normal, how to talk to an older adult who you're worried about, how to have healthy conversations around mental health, how to abridge older adults to care. Right. And so that's the other piece. And so this is the other part of my mission, which is to, at, I just created and launched this website called mentalhealthandaging.com. And it's the center for mental health and aging. And basically what I'm hoping it will be is your go-to place online for mental health and aging. So it gives lots of evidence-based information about what's normal in aging and not like depression, anxiety, substance use, and also how to have difficult conversations like moving into senior living, like around dementia care. And, um, and it serves as a provider directory. So what I'm trying to do is collect mental health providers who specialize with older adults therapists, neuropsychologists, and psychiatrists. So therapists do talk therapy, psychiatrists prescribe medications, they're medical doctors, and neuropsychologists can do the, um, the assessments needed to help diagnose dementia and, and figure out, is this dementia or is it depression? And that's really important because we need to know the difference because of how we treat them. And so my hope is to bring all these providers together so that when families are looking, when professionals are looking for one of their patients or clients, they'll know where to go for mental health care for their older loved ones or older um, clients. So that's the goal with that. That sounds fantastic. And we'll definitely have you back and have a deeper dive into so many issues that you and A especially can talk about. A is a geriatric social worker meaning that she specializes in geriatric. She's not herself geriatric just yet. We're, we're not quite there yet. We're almost there. We're <laughs> all anyway, hoping to get there. Yeah. So just uh, summarize for the audience of how someone could reach you in terms of your, you know, your social media and all that. Sure, sure. Yeah, so, so I would love it. If anybody has questions around mental health and aging, go to mentalhealthandaging.com. You can get so many of your questions answered there lots of guides and podcasts and blogs. Um, if you are interested in more of the social media route, I'm at Dr. Regina Kep on Facebook and on Instagram. Um, I'm on LinkedIn too, less commonly. And then also, 
Oh, no, I'm on LinkedIn a lot on Twitter, less commonly. And just look for Dr. Regina Kep. I have a very unique name. So K-O-E-P-P is my last name. And it's just at Dr. Regina Kep. Yep. And we'll put all of that in our description, show notes of Thank this you. podcast. So thanks again for uh, making the time. I know you have a busy schedule. Well, thank you. I hope we, I'm looking forward to talking to you again. Me too. Yeah, Thanks so yeah. much for doing this topic. Yeah, I mean, so I, I do want to say we need people in the mental mm -hmm. health and aging space. There are more old by 2034, there will be more adults 65 and older than children under the age of 18. And we don't have nearly enough mental health and senior care providers to help. And this might be another reason that older adults are not getting the mental health care that they need, even though they benefit at the same level and the same rate. And so I would, you know, if you would, if any of your listeners are at all interested in this type of career, give it a shot. You can always pivot and change if it's not for you, but it, you might just love it. That's right. Thank you. Thank Thanks you so much. much. Okay. Thanks. We'll see you again time. soon. Hey there, thanks for listening to this podcast today. Can you do me a big favor? Um, just so that this podcast gets heard by more students of psychology and other people interested in the field, uh, go to Apple Podcasts and put a little rating there if you like and uh, a brief uh, review, okay? And you can also contact me directly using the links in the description, whether it's Twitter or email, with any suggestions or feedback that you may have to make the show better. And uh, if there are any topics you want me to talk about, I can add them. And if you want to support me by buying me a coffee, the methods are listed in the description as well. Again, thanks and have a great day.